Andrea Fox and this is your favourite zero-waste, single-use, plastic-free yet anti-hemp environmental podcast. Hope you're well. Today's guest will leave you feeling like you can confidently say you know what the heck blockchain is and how it can help us clean up the planet and create jobs. Honestly, I totally get it now. I feel like Tim Apple. Sorry, Tim Cook from Apple. But it just saves time, doesn't it, to mash sentences together. Before that, though, let's get a little bit political with some environmental news this episode. I am planning on reusing and recycling my banner from a recent protest march in London you may have heard of. And if the current chaos surrounding the UK leaving the EU or not leaving the EU hasn't got you sitting at home in the brace position, how about this? News reaches us this week that UK will miss out almost all of the 2020 nature targets it signed up to a decade ago. That's according to a report by the government's official advisers. Slow clap please for the Conservative Party there. The UK is among the most nature depleted countries in the world, according to a separate report from 2016. That means we've seen declines in skylarks, hedgehogs, butterflies and corn marigolds. I had to google corn marigolds, but I do quite like a butterfly and a hedgehog every now and then. Turns out I didn't just grow out of trying to catch them, they're actually dying out. But get this, a company in Texas in the US have found a great way to cover up dead parched vegetation during droughts. Just spray paint your lawn green. Now to be fair to the company, it is non-toxic and biodegradable. But doesn't it just smack a bit of humanity rearranging the deck chairs on the Titanic? This podcast is your way to feel a bit more informed and a little bit less guilty about all of that. So let's crack on with today's guest. I am joined by Simona Pop, who is co-founder and CMO at Bounties Network. And it is going to get techie, guys. As we discuss what this new unhackable tech of blockchain could mean for environmental cleanups and the charity sector as a whole, including something the Bounties Network trialled in Manila called Bounties for Basura, which has now been made into a documentary. But first things first, Simona starts off with what the hell blockchain is. Think of it as an Excel spreadsheet that doesn't just live on my computer, it lives on everyone's computer. That is a really, really good explanation. <laughs> right? No, I would have thought. <laughs> I think it's it's very important to move away from the definitions that involve a lot of jargon, that involve um, overly complex technical terms, yeah. because I think that's one of the things that tends to keep people out or at an arm's length yeah. from the technology and what um, the possibilities that it opens up can be. So um, in terms of defining it as, a, as an Excel spreadsheet, everybody has had that experience of saving an Excel spreadsheet 10,000 times and then <laughs> attaching it and then hold on, it didn't save the last adjustment and so on. Um, but of course, if it lives on everybody's computer and it's updated at the same time and in real time, you're then looking at a dynamic in a scenario where there is no central point of control and there is no um, central point or one point of failure. So it's essentially um, the ability and and the empowerment of people to have control of their data and their information without the need of Google being there, okay. right? To give you access. Okay. We always have this situation of 
this centralized power, because Google will be a centralized power, they give you access to it, but at the same time, they own everything. Same as Uber. You get a ride with some other person, but it's Uber that makes the money, that controls the data, that it can kick you off or allow you in. So it's that centralized power that we're essentially saying doesn't need to be there. Is it really secure? Yes. So the idea with with the blockchain is that it brings security into the into play. It brings ownership for the individuals um, into play, and it also brings this concept of immutability. So once something is on chain, so some sort of information, you know, let's say your um, balance of funds, nobody can go in there and adjust it. Once it is there, it is there. So you couldn't, um, let's say, retrospectively go in and adjust something or steal somebody's identity or um, I don't know if I want to own your house. I could technically just go into a database, delete your name, put my name on it and save it in Mm. the current kind of setup. I'm slowly trying to be like, "Uh, do I get it? I think I get it. Um, so we should probably explain a little bit about your company as well. Mm. So Bounties Network. Yes. Essentially, um, we created it at the end of 2017. And the idea with it, and again, I'll try to be as um, kind of general term um, explaining it as possible. Um, it's essentially a protocol. So it's a protocol for smart contracts. Now, this is one of the things that you will hear in conjunction with blockchain is the idea of a smart contract. What that means really is just a piece of code that tells you if this, then that. And it automates that kind of mechanism on chain. So on the blockchain. Okay. So for instance, you could have um, a task that says, I need a logo for this podcast. If you deliver the logo, these are my requirements. I need it in PNG and SVG format. I want it to include... The um, orange, yeah. Right. <laughs> um, I want it to speak about what this podcast is about. These are my requirements. And if you deliver it, I will give you the reward, i.e. the money for it. Right. Okay. So that is a very simplistic kind of, if you give me this, I will give you that. Okay. But that can be, you know, you can make it as complex as it needs to be. You could technically sell a house through a smart contract. I need a house. You give me a house. I give you money. Wow. Right. So you could bake in all of the legal stuff, everything that is needed that we go through when we buy a house. You could just bake it into this piece of code. Right. And because it's on chain, it is immutable. Therefore, it sticks, right? That is your now ownership of the house has been transferred from me to you, for instance. Mm-hmm. So that's where kind of the, the beauty of this, this smart contract dynamic comes from. But coming back to, to bounties, what we essentially um, did was create this protocol and this explorer for the bounties network. And what a bounty is, and it definitely isn't something piratey and <laughs> evil. <laughs> um, the bounty is essentially a task. So you have them since medieval times. You would have an individual or an organization. They would put a bounty 
i.e. a task, saying, I need this done and I will give you a reward for it. Right? Very, very simple. Moving it across centuries, what essentially happens is a bounty is just that. You set up a task, somebody fulfills it, and there's a reward. And of course, there's a crypto reward, right, in cryptocurrency. Yes, because Mm. blockchain and cryptocurrency are linked. Yes. Right? And the difference, so the main, main um, thing to remember is, for instance, the, the first time people started hearing about blockchain was in connection with Bitcoin. Yes. Right. That's the cryptocurrency everyone knows. Right. Now, the the thing to remember is that Bitcoin cannot exist without the blockchain, but the blockchain can exist without Bitcoin. So the blockchain that supports Bitcoin, that's all it does. It is the technology that supports this token of value, right? which is Bitcoin. But you can have a multitude of other blockchains. The blockchain that the Bounties Network is built on is the Ethereum blockchain. Okay. Which is the second one that came after Bitcoin. Sounds very Avengers Marvel. (laughs) (laughs) Great name. (laughs) So Ethereum was essentially the, the, the idea behind it is that, okay, so we saw that the blockchain can support a token of value. And then we thought, but what if it can support a whole load of other applications to the point where you would build things into onto the blockchain that would improve whatever we have currently, right? So could you apply blockchain to real estate, like we mentioned earlier? Could you apply it to... Um, Supply chains, could you apply it to outsourcing work? Could you apply it to art, to music? So really looking at, okay, how can we improve what applications we have now by putting them on chain or by perfecting them by creating them on the blockchain? And really going and seeing what works and what doesn't. And essentially for the past year and for the past kind of two years, actually, that has been the exercise that we have been engaged in. The Ethereum blockchain as a whole, what works on the blockchain and what doesn't. So can you give us some examples of things that have and haven't worked? Sure. So, um, and, and just before I do that, in terms of the cryptocurrency, so the cryptocurrency that is on the Ethereum blockchain is called ETH. So the symbol is ETH. Mm-hmm. And then you will have a series of other tokens that are on the Ethereum blockchain. They're called ERC-20s. And another example of that are is DAI, for instance, DAI. The idea with those cryptocurrencies is they would be used in this new economy on these new applications that are built on the blockchain. I see. So what has worked so far um, has been supply chain. It's, it's something very, very clear and very simple to the point where you would want that immutable traceability of goods from origin to delivery to the end user, right? Does that kind of uh, eliminate things like money laundering, which we've all kind of heard, is cryptocurrency a way to get dark money or, you know, clean it up, I suppose? My answer to that and anybody who says, oh, cryptocurrency is being used for all this evil stuff, uh... So have US dollars for a hell of a lot longer. It's just that we're used to it. Such a good point. You know, like, 
I think when when you go and set up a pension or whatever, they were like, "How? What things do you not want it to be invested in?" And I'm like, "No guns, please. No oil, please." But that's basically about it. Yep. And it is being invested in that stuff. Exactly. So it's only because that type of stuff is normal for us now, right? Nobody bats an eyelid when people buy guns with dollars or drugs with dollars or pornography with dollars. But suddenly, because it is a new concept, you know, there is, of course, of course. And that's, honestly, that is all it is. Um, Because blockchain won't make people good overnight. Like, it's human nature. People are going to use stuff for good, but also for bad. So, but it doesn't discount the fact that it it can also and is also being used for good. In the same way that our pounds might go towards whatever charity there we go yeah yes so supply is something that worked yes what about something that didn't work so much so i think we're probably still um struggling with things like real estate for instance like there there are a lot of projects that are looking at real estate and potentially having these smart contracts wearing purchases of a house but there is a long way to go, right? Because there are so many players involved in something like buying a house from lawyers to um, real estate agents to the actual people buying it to insurance. There's so many players and a lot of those players are very, very traditional, let's say. They're not going to want to give up a lot of the paperwork that they do, a lot of the income that they get based on it. So I think that is definitely something that has a long way to go. It's switching the power from the institutions to the individuals, right? Because something that we have a lot of right now is we always have to um, abide by the fees that they charge because that's what I need to do. There's no other way. So I'm kind of backed into a corner where I have to accept these things because there is no alternative. I depend on all of these. And I think the more we move into a situation where the individuals are a lot more empowered, a lot of that can be restructured to the point where it benefits all of us, not just some Landowners, leaseholders, freeholders, whatever. Um, So how does cryptocurrency and blockchain connect with social impact? So one of the things that we, we started doing with bounties, and again, going back into what a bounty is, a task that gets fulfilled and there's a reward at the end. Typically in the blockchain space, um, particularly because it's been so dominated by developers or people who have a a certain degree of technical prowess. The use case has typically been code and finding bugs in code and very kind of developer-driven applications. So we started looking at, oh, do bounties for design work? Yes, they do. Do bounties for research work? Yes, they do. We even had a few for music. So um, we have an artist called um, RAC, and he bountied out a violin piece for one of his tracks. So we discovered all of these different applications, and then we looked at social impact and then said, okay, social impact and environmental impact and charities and that whole model has been the same for a hell of a long time. And maybe it's not 
really working as it should. We've had so many scandals in the charity sector. So the Red Cross um, scandal with them raising, I don't know, $4 million and then managing to build a total of six houses, I think, after Katrina. So things like that. And actually looking at that model, you realize that a lot of the process focuses on a centralized organization, i.e. a charity, asking us, the individuals, for money, but then everything goes dark because you don't know what happens to the money. You don't know whether they do what they say they're going to do. It really is very, very opaque. So we kind of started looking at that model and thought, okay, well, what if we redesign that and re-engineer it to the point where we don't ask individuals for money, we actually pay them for a positive action. Case in point, our Bounties for the Oceans um, bounty that we launched on World Oceans Day last year in in 2018 and thought, okay, instead of us asking people for money, we're going to give them money for performing a verifiable cleanup whether it's on a beach, whether it's on a street, whether it's on a park, the bank of a river, I don't care, but I will reward you for proof that you have done this cleanup. And of course, we now see this trash challenge that is going viral. Yes, I was just thinking that. Right. So that hashtag, actually, it initiated in 2015 and then died down. And this is the problem with all of these things. You have the hype and then it drops off. Because it isn't something that is sustainable and it isn't something that can go on and on and on. You go on the wave and then it drops down and yeah, then you go back. we're not still doing the ice bucket challenge. Right. But it did, at a time, raise loads of money for right. a condition people didn't know about. But then it goes away. Yeah. Right. So that is another, it's great what is happening, but is it sustainable? Right. So what we are saying is, okay, what if we have those cleanups and then we reward people for for the cleanups so it's essentially is it a bit like creating an environmental cleanup job basically yes exactly Much more sustainable you're going to go to work you know on a regular pattern and this is the other thing that i find very very um interesting because this is a conversation that we have all the time and and people bring up the the idea of yes but isn't it wonderful when people do something for nothing It is if you have the time and the resource to do it. But if you need to be compensated for your time or if you want, you're really passionate, but you don't have the time to dedicate to this because you need to go and earn money, then something like a paid cleanup becomes something very realistic for you. Gosh, that's really interesting because it's almost like a class point of like, well, if you're able to sit around and set up a charity with your own funds, that's good. But someone who wants to do a cleanup, but they need to pay for childcare and food. There we go. Yeah. Okay. You know, again, this is the way things have been for so long. You go, you want to do something good, you volunteer for nothing. Whereas if you reshape the way we do things and if you reshape the way individuals um, spend their time and and enable them to participate in meaningful projects that they care about, but get compensated for that time, you are essentially restructuring the way people work and the way all of us can have that balance of doing things that are necessary for our livelihood, but also doing things that we care about. 
And we already know from all of the news stories out there that apparently we are at a crisis point for the planet. So why is it going to be left to volunteer work to sort that out? Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> and I think one of the main things that we wanted to to really see was, would people do it? Like, would people get involved in this task that we created? So we launched it. The, the premise is very, very simple. The mechanism, um, submit photographic proof with a date stamp and a location um, some people even submitted the photos with today's newspaper so going very old school very um, classic classic and submitted once it gets approved by the bounty creator which in this case was me the funds get transferred immediately into the fulfiller's wallet and that is a crypto Hi, wallet. Blockchain, yes. blockchain and cryptocurrency. All of it. can change into local currency wherever it is, I imagine. For us here and really America, uh, Western Europe, Australia, you have exchanges that enable you to do that. Mm-hmm. There are definitely areas and, and geographies that are still, those exchanges will need to be created in order to enable this. But solutions appear when there's a need so the more we do these the more these products will will appear yeah Mm. and you've um you're thinking about a very specific bounty at the moment tell us a little bit about that what was so bad in that particular area in it's in manila isn't it it's it was manila bay yeah um and i think the the idea for this pilot that we did in the philippines was actually seeing a lot of people who contributed to that original bounty that we set up. Uh And we had people participating from Venezuela, from Tasmania, from across the US, from across the UK, from Romania, so really broad geographies. But they were individual ones, right? It was one person went, did this, or maybe a small group. So we wanted, because we're Again, we're very, very focused on getting these real world use cases, making sure that we're not just talking in, you know, comfortably in the West and thinking, yes, I'm sure that will work. And so we set up this pilot because we wanted to see what it would look like with a big group and also in a country that isn't necessarily your traditional, you know, on the traditional geography of socioeconomical abundance. Um, But we also picked it because we knew um, we partnered on the ground with an exchange that would enable people to exchange the crypto for local currency because we didn't just want to turn up. Here's some magic Internet money. Goodbye. (laughs) So it was very important for us to to have that partner. And and we found it in, in the Philippines. So that was one of the reasons why why we went there. But another reason is because it is incredibly polluted. So Manila Bay is essentially surrounded by central Manila and all of the satellite kind of communities in the outskirts of Manila. They do not have a good refuse collection service. Like the the city just is not organized um, to that, which means that all of these communities and everything else that flows into the bay ends up on all of these beaches. And one of the main things that that we wanted to do was find out whether, okay, if we do all of these cleanups, will it eventually be clean? And the answer is unfortunately no, because with every monsoon, just more of it gets washed up. So the cleanup was across two days um, in December last year. 
We cleaned for about two, two and a half hours each day because it got so hot from about half 10 and the beach was completely, there was no shelter. So we couldn't really keep people um, out longer than that. So it's two and a half hours uh, on each day. We had 224 people across the two days and we managed to clean 3.3 tons of trash in that time. That feels like a lot. It is a lot. Of course, in big environmental kind of movements, it's very little. But keeping in mind that it was only one beach, and actually I don't think we cleaned more than a span of maybe 10 meters, it's, it's a lot. There was a lot of stuff there. So in terms of that, of course, you then have the communities that are around these beaches and around these environments that are traditionally fishermen communities that are now looking at a horrendous decline in the health of the habitat they used to have because we were chatting to some of the of the locals who came to to the cleanup and they were saying there were I don't know how many species of birds and a fish that are just no longer there and so fishing communities that no longer have fish to fish what do you do you have to create this alternative you have to create these new means of income to then potentially you know two birds with one stone you help restore the health of the habitat but you also create new means of income for these communities to be able to support themselves and so the idea with the bounty that we created for this specific pilot which is still live it's still paying out. So some of the people that we onboarded, they go for regular cleanups and they get regular payouts. Regular income, yeah. That's right. And that is the key. I'm no longer there. Nobody else is there managing it. So from an admin perspective, from a, oh, let's transfer money through international transfers that cost I don't know how much money. The mechanism is incredibly simple. You have the bounty, those guys get paid out. I don't need to do anything. That's, it's just, my product is just the interface that enables this. And so one of the other um, really cool things with with the bounty, um, the one for, for Manila, was that we actually crowdsourced the funds. So we obviously, as a project, we put some money in. Um, we had um, other projects within the ecosystem contribute to the pot, but also individuals. So we had donations of $5, $10 from people, again, all across the world. And that is how you redesign the thing. Don't give it to a charity. Give it directly to the cause. And because it's on chain, it's incredibly transparent. And the only thing that the funds of the bounty will be used for will be the payouts. Nothing else. There is not your usual, oh, 20% goes to marketing, 50% goes to this. No, that money will only ever go for these verifiable cleanups. Because you as a company with your other bounties are making money elsewhere. So this kind of social impact one is separate. Is that how you mean? No, you could have this as a model for a lot of the charities. So for instance, you can have any charity that does any kind of environmental work could use this model to, number one, drastically reduce the fees that they pay for international transfers for setting things up. Mm-hmm. And two, that transparency, where it just goes from opaque, I have no idea where my money is, to, oh, here it is, and here's where it goes. You can track every single transaction on chain. 
you are creating a documentary about this particular project. Yes. So we wanted to um, show what we were doing and show what our challenges were, because there were many, um, and also make people understand or give people the idea of what blockchain can achieve. Because I think for a lot of institutions and for a lot of audiences, blockchain is very much a speculatory exercise, right? It's very much tied to Bitcoin and it's very much tied to the crazy highs that it went to and all these people getting rich or all of these people losing all their money. And that is the beginning and end of anything they know about blockchain. Um, And I think it was very important for us to show what can be done and document what we did on the ground and the people who are involved and the reasons why we did it. And so we filmed this um, Bounty for Basura. Basura is in Filipino, it just, and also in Spanish because um, the Spaniards invaded the Philippines many years and years ago ago. right um and so a lot of the spanish words are still in in the local uh vocabulary so basura means garbage so the bounty for basura is the documentary um we just premiered it at south by southwest and we are also entering it into a couple of film festivals and once we we're done with the festivals we can release it for um general General consumption yes. viewing. Yes. Cool. Which I think will be very, very important. Um, and again, it, it just serves as an example of what can be done. And hopefully, again, these charities and the organizations that work in environmental and social impact can potentially understand that this is a model that would improve a lot of their processes. You mentioned that there were some issues, but Mm. it seems like you're completely sold on this being a much better way for charities to get things done. Yes. And I think it is incredibly powerful to see that even in, because again, a lot of um, what's being discussed about blockchain tends to still be somewhere in America and somewhere in Western Europe. But it is very important to understand that even though we had challenges in terms of internet connectivity, in terms of people having smartphones, in terms of um, being able to have a partner on the ground to enable this exchange back into um, local currencies, we achieved a hell of a lot in terms of onboarding people and creating this sustainable new income. And so I see it as something that can easily be replicable. I see it as something that can now potentially give way to new solutions, maybe more exchanges, maybe phone companies can kind of partner with us for a bigger one or look at, okay, how can we give people data to be able to do this straight off the bat versus consistently having them pay for data by the minute, which was what the situation is. Yeah. So things will improve and things will change. And I think it's very, very important to have those use cases early on so that we can create the path that will get us to the point of usability that we have now. Because again, let's remember the internet And I recently watched a guide to using emails that was like half an hour long. (laughs) And everybody was wearing 80 sweaters and everybody, and it was all so crazy. Yeah. 
There's even a thing on the telly last night about how, you know, people are raged, not just necessarily old people who aren't aren't able to use the internet or do online banking exactly. or have a smartphone. Exactly. And the hope is that this will make it once we refine what that onboarding process looks like and once we refine a lot of the complexities in terms of education and explaining and getting people um giving people the resources and the information they need without the jargon that exists nowadays without the complexities so iron all of those out make sure that everything we build looks from a ux perspective and from a design perspective looks normal like you were saying earlier blockchain being like an excel that everyone can access everyone knows what that looks like right but you need everyone to be able to that usability exactly exactly and i think we're um as an ecosystem um we are getting a hell of a lot better and you see products i mean even when we redesign our bounties um network explorer we did it based on all of the feedback that we gathered from the users so when we redesigned it and actually we won a ux award within our ecosystem which is well done. Amazing. Um, but it is very much making it something that is easily um, approachable, isn't something that looks scary, that looks like MS-DOS, isn't <laughs> something that looks very, very um, alien. And you clearly got loads of great feedback from everyone who took part in this particular project. Bounty, I should say, Bounty. Yes, yes. Um, and I think that's one of the main things that um, I've been very passionate about. Like, I believe that blockchain can actually level out the playing field in terms of, of access, of access to information, to resource, to work um, in non-traditional communities. Because again, even if we speak about the States, for instance, there are many communities within the United States that are not hooked up to the internet and are not getting the same benefits as some other communities do, right? So it isn't just developing countries. There are communities on our doorstep that need that seat at the table. And I believe that this is the technology that will will enable that. And I think the beauty for me is seeing so many people who are not of technical background and who are not developers coming into the space because of bounties like the one we did in Manila and the bounties for the oceans that and both of them are still up and people can go and clean up and earn some crypto there you go mm. and where if people were like yeah I'm gonna do that where exactly would you go to find out about these bounties you would just go on bounties.network it's as easy as that yep you um hit enter and then there's a button and says explore bounties Click that and then um, you can search. So there's a search bar and just put oceans in and they will pop up. I think when you hear the term like digital nomads and things like that, it's, yeah, I'm always like, oh, I couldn't do that. But actually, this is the kind of technology that means that we could. And it's everyone's talking about work-life balance and all these kind of things. You can totally see how this would work. Yep. And I think, again, it's moving that line from... um, I have to work, therefore my interests live outside of that. You become more of the 360 human being that you are with interests, with passions, with um, consideration for the environment, but also with a skill set that will help a lot of projects out there. Yeah. Mm. This has been so interesting. I feel like I actually understand what blockchain is now. Yes. I'm not going to go out and try and buy some blockchain. 
Um, you can't. <laughs> I can't, no. <laughs> that would be cryptocurrency. Yes. Um, but yeah, now at least I know the difference now. There you go. Um, but we always like to ask guests two questions on the podcast to prove that we're lovers, not haters. We are called the age of plastic. Um, <laughs> so what is your favourite plastic product? It's got to be a lint remover. <laughs> is that because Phoebe's looking at us from the other sofa right now? Basically. Phoebe so, the cat. Phoebe the cat. Um, and I enjoy black things. <laughs> but also pops of color. But whenever um, I have to wear black things, the lint roller comes out. Yeah. So, yeah, I love it. Can't, we'll always have uh, a fresh one. <laughs> in the house that's good that's mm. one we've not had on the podcast before <laughs> and also finally who is your environmental hero so for me it's got to be um these guys at parlay so parlay what they do i met them maybe three years ago at a virgin disruptors event in london and cyril cyril gooch who um started the company is very very keen on this let's rid the world of plastic and we need to clean up the oceans otherwise you know we're all gonna die right (laughs) um and you know he's he's very very he's very passionate about it and i think it's it's something that they have done incredibly well in terms of the partnerships that they have created and in terms of educating people on what will happen if we don't but also how we can turn these um, cleanups or the plastic that we, um, let's say, uh, we gather and um, create products out of it. So they have a very cool partnership with Adidas and they make a shoe. That's where I've heard the name before. Right. So it's the Adidas Parlay shoe that is essentially made out of recycled plastic. Adidas manages the whole incredibly laborious uh, process of turning that plastic into fiber, then making the shoe. Um, But it's a model, again, that can be something that we do, right? So all of the manufacturing of all of the stuff we buy could be made out of this out of these cleanups and then you go again it's sustainable it is a model that ensures what we consume doesn't just contribute to the problem but there's a way out of it there's you close the cycle so i think even with a new pilot that we might do with bounties would be to get a manufacturing partner that helps us turn that plastic into something that we can sell and then pay off the the manufacturing costs and then have whatever is left go back into social impact bounties and again then you have that sustainability that just needs to be there Simona popped there from the Bounties Network. And as always, I will link to the trailer for that documentary, Bounties for Basura, and that film is going to be available soon. Now, I'm not going to be down on the amazing beach cleanups that so many groups like Keep Britain Tidy and Surfers Against Sewage organise, but it is odd how something so important that can be so devastating to oceans and rivers is just left to volunteers. I pick up litter when I see it and I recycle it when I can. But finding time to do a clean-up is difficult for some people. And I'm saying that as like a comfortable middle-class freelancer in a rich country. So why should it be left to those with the free time here and in countries like Manila where huge industries like fishing are dying out because of litter to like sort it all out? I know this isn't a perfect solution. You need a smartphone, you need to 
be able to transfer your computer money into local currency pretty quickly, but I do find it interesting when tech tries to find new ways of doing things. We don't have to do everything the same way we've always done it. Could it maybe be used to create jobs and help with the cleanup from things like Cyclone Ida? And we're not about to go and live off the grid, and I just think people should be paid for their time. So if any of the ideas are interesting to you, like Simona mentioned, you can head to bounties.network for more. On that note, it's time for our environmental hack. I was going to make it a tech one, but I've decided to go for this because I've been desperate to say this. Do not wash your jeans, guys. My friend told me this years ago, and I thought it was crazy, but actually, just chuck them in the freezer. Seriously, I found this hack on Pebble Magazine. It also works for jumpers too. They last longer because you wash them less. And if you wash them less, it means microfibers don't end up in the ocean. Chucking them inside a plastic bag, squeezing all the air out, chucking them in the freezer kills off all the bacteria. Don't knock it till you've tried it, okay? (laughs) Next time on the Age of Plastic podcast, I'm going to be chatting to a company who have an innovative idea to end all single-use plastic bags. Until then, get in touch at all the usual places. Leave a review if you like us. We are the Age of Plastic podcast on Instagram, or you can find me, I am andreafox.co.uk. I will see you next time on the Age of Plastic podcast. Just got to go check out the freezer drawer. Thank you.